All right, you were going to explain the hair to me. What's going on? So I have a half bun going on right now. It's only because my hair is too short to do a full bun without hair falling out of the back. Because you had a haircut? Like a few weeks ago. This is not going in. Not great. But what, have you gotten compliments? No, I just, I don't, it's out of pure function right now. I think all down looks better than the half up. All right, all down. (laughs) No, it's kind of also trash. I only have one look. Yeah. Bun up. The one look is good. I wouldn't mess with it. You cut it too short. It was for functional reasons. For sports. For sports. But how is it functional if you can't tie it all up? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it falls out as long as it's not super heavy. Oh. Because those extra grams of hair on your head. Prevent me from getting an extra millimeter of distance when I jump. All right then. Yep. So what's uh, new in the world of uh, teaching kids? I was going to keep dissecting your outfit and then you distracted me. Well, what's wrong? What else is wrong with my outfit? No, nothing is wrong. I was going to ask you if these are the Bora pants. No, these are Haven Times Mountain Research pants. Yes. Uh, like your Bora pants, there are a large amount of pockets. Maybe at a glance, seven. There's a lot more, actually. Okay. Yeah. We're, go- we're talking 10. These are, these are upwards. called the fisherman pant. Do you put things in the pockets? No, because I usually forget. You put nothing in any of the 10 pockets. Well, sometimes, but I mean, so you can't see this, but. So pockets as a look, not pockets as a function. Look, spelled L-E-W-K, look. All right. What's new for me? I heard you tried to gamble and get drunk with your students. Yeah, I did try to do both of the. No, Um, they tried to do both of those things, actually. Did we get drunk? I was just in the vicinity. No, not while I was there. We were at school. Basically, Sharice like recapped. So yesterday the- was the final presentation of one of my classes. And then after the class, I also was not the one who supplied the alcohol. My other colleague did. And then the students also went and, you know, somehow pulled out other bottles of alcohol that they've Whoa. been keeping in their studios. I thought kids these days don't drink. Apparently they do. They do drink. But like a healthy amount, I would say. Healthy as in like maybe they have half a glass. Oh, what? That's lame. Okay, Bro, if you you're going to go. Swung, you just swung from like taking shots at them for getting drunk to saying they're lame for drinking too little. Okay, you can't have Well, I mean, if you're going to start. Those are double standards. It was 3 p.m. and we were at school. But the interesting part is that they also brought to this room that we had done the presentations in. Okay, so it's like not their studio. They brought two full sets of mahjong which and is like mahjong a, tables. Which is like an Asian tile game. Yeah. When it's not like a light weight game okay it's like not a board game it's not monopoly like this stuff weighs heavy let's amounts. let's make sure that we get a some sound foley of people mixing <sighs> the tiles cue sound foley and so i played a couple rounds with them before going back to work but no money no money just for fun lame oh my god at the fact that they if you're gonna had, if you're gonna be the a degenerate, fact that they even had the mahjong was impressive. If you're gonna to be me. a degenerate Asian, you might I as well disagree. go all the way. I disagree. I think this is sensible. Some amount of fun to balance out all the hard work that they do in school <laughs> without having it, you know, escalate to a point where you, I can't participate. So as far as it would uh, be incriminating. So I, I've heard that Sharice's uh, students listen to this podcast. This so true. I wonder what their opinion of me is going to be. Poor, probably. Whoa! 
Most people yeah. who I don't say this because <laughs> I dislike you, Eugene, like by no means. But most people who come yeah. to listen to making it up through knowing me first, like Hate personally me. in life. OK, they listen to this podcast and they come away thinking, wow, I don't like Eugene nice. or agree with him. And I, I nice. swear, I promise you that in my personal life, I have said nothing about like, oh, you know, well, don't trust Eugene or whatever. I don't cast any shade at all. And somehow people walk away with this. So impression. do you think our inability to grow our audience is because of me? <laughs> no, I think our inability to grow our audience is our very poor marketing. Yeah. And distribution oh, well. strategies. I don't think it has. I it's mean, not a product issue. Is, yeah. Okay. But I mean, obviously Ooh, the co-host is going to say close this, right? one. I don't think that we have a product issue. I think that we have a distribution issue that we do not actively try to do anything about. Let's raise a million dollars and just put it into Facebook ads. Okay. No. How do we raise a million dollars? I don't know. Some scam. I don't know. This is Making It Up, episode 191, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making It Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash for Discord access, exclusive newsletters, and more. Let's get into it. My topic this week is basically talking about Facebook's new name change slash introduction of a, a new company called Meta. I would say that my interest is more in talking about the concept of the metaverse and Zuck plus company betting on it as opposed to the fact that, you know, they changed their name and their logo. So that that's my interest. Yeah. So for people unfamiliar, I think, you know, this probably would have crossed your call it your plate. I would say quite it's pretty widely. big news. I would say it's pretty big news across ages. It's, and it was also subject to a lot of memes. Oh yeah. So at the end of last month, at the end of October, Mark Zuckerberg penned a rather lengthy founder's letter. And I'm just gonna pull specific parts. But in short, this is about Facebook, now known as Meta, M-E-T-A, and their pivot into a metaverse future. So I think there's a lot of things to dissect there, both like intentions, what is the metaverse, what is the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I don't think you're going to cover it all, but I do think that it's not the it was or what's not going to happen. It's more about the speed in which it will happen. Now that as per a interview I read from a podcast, there's like $10 billion that Meta is going to invest in this. Yeah. So it's yeah. a shitload of money. I mean, even just the fact that I didn't know that dollar amount that they were investing. Yeah, in. it's from a Verge podcast. But just knowing, well, recognizing that if Zuckerberg's going to come out and make this huge announcement to the world, it is a very serious intention and most likely further along than we as the public know. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't be comfortable 
you know, staking this claim. Yeah. And also the fact that they are making such big moves is going to signal to a lot of people to hurry up their own projects as well. Correct. Unannounced, announced, yeah. et cetera. So I'm going to pull a few things and comment on them specifically. And this is from Zuck's letter. In recent decades, technology has given people the power to connect and express ourselves more naturally. When I started Facebook, we mostly typed text on websites. When we got phones with cameras, the internet became more visual and mobile. As connections got faster, video became a richer way to share experiences. We've gone from desktop to web to mobile, from text to photos to video, but this isn't the end of the line. The next platform will be even more immersive, an embodied <laughs> internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. We call this the metaverse, and it will touch every product we build. It's, I didn't like how they call it we, because it's like, it's kind of know, already out who there. Who is we? Like, face, like meta. Like, it's called the metaverse. I don't like how he uses we, because it makes me feel like he's saying we, as in also us, the reader, all of you meta fans and Facebook family. So don't enjoy that. But it is quite error corporate speak at parts this yep. letter yeah for sure so in short i think maybe we talk a little bit about what is the metaverse and i think that the metaverse at this point in time because i think this truest representation of a metaverse has yet to really take shape it's hard to be like yeah it's this which to a degree i think social media when it was coined as a term probably had a bit more of a stricter definition and when i when i use that like you would call MySpace social media. Mm, and sure. I think that was in many ways a very clear representation of it. And every iteration that came afterwards kind of neatly fit and was defined by that. But now at this current junction of the metaverse, there's still discussions on what it's going to be. Is it going to be a thing where Sharice and I are inside of Fortnite playing together? Or is it the fact that I have like AR capabilities on my glasses to help me navigate a menu? Well, I would say before... I don't even know what year to put this in front of, but I guess prior to the technical reality and possibility of bringing the metaverse about, people mainly thought about the metaverse in fictional terms. So I'm thinking about the book Ready Player One or the Matrix movies. Those are kind of popular perceptions of what a metaverse is. Yeah. As, just as a word, I'm saying, okay, yeah. not as... The reality that we're currently living in and what big platforms like Meta, previously known as Facebook, are heading towards. Um, but just this, de I guess, definition of a concept yeah. of the metaverse being somewhere not the physical realm that our body currently, that our physical yeah. body currently resides in. And there is a representation of us somewhere else. Let me share a more tangible example from the gaming world, which I think feels like the most immediate application of the metaverse concept this is sharice buying a pair of nikes as an nft and then taking that nft sneaker and bringing it into various other games that would be like a very sort of like largely accepted agreed upon approach i would say another yeah i agree with you and then another example that i think of is you know how people have multiple accounts like let's say you have Tinder account, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, and you make a new account under all of those platforms separately. Sometimes you might use the same username. Well, let's also bring in like the Nintendo Switch and PlayStation. Okay. 
the metaverse would be that all of those are connected and talk to one another and your persona, identity, representation of yourself carries across all of these things without you having to, you know, intentionally modify something in each one. So yeah. let's say, you know, same as you, you buy an NFT of a pair of Nike shoes, they apply across the board. But could also be something like you have an avatar and if you update it, updates across everything because your existence is continuous across yeah. all of these places. Yeah. There's some more recent developments I think actually support this. Like, let's go back to profile pictures. So most recently, Twitter introduced a feature where you could verify the provenance of an NFT that you uploaded as your profile picture. If Sharice was the rightful owner of a profile picture, I couldn't, you know, right click save that and then upload it as my own. Well, actually, I haven't gone through the process, but in theory, what would happen was like, hey, it would be flagged like, hey, this is the NFT that belongs to this person or it doesn't belong to you. Right. And I think one other thing that's really interesting is that the general way in which we control our identities online in the web 2.0 is an email address. But I think what the future might hold is that you might use a wallet address instead, like connecting with a wallet, like yeah. a, a crypto wallet. Yeah, I, agree. And I, I think, was actually just thinking about that email aspect as well, where the commonality across everything that you have is the email address you choose to use. Because one thing that's going to be in incredibly, incredibly interesting is the way in which we behave on the internet in a metaverse world will likely change. And the reason being is that if we start ascribing more value to digital connections, which we are currently, right? Well, we're, we are ascribing. I'm not shaking my head because I don't think we're ascribing value. We are ascribing value. I'm thinking about the tweet thread that Bezad shared in the Discord. So Bezad shared a, a tweet. member. Yes. And good friend. After our Fortnite episode, shared this tweet from user at SeanVP. The metaverse is the moment in time where our digital life is worth more to us than our physical life. This is not an overnight change or an invention by some Steve Jobs type. It's a gradual change that's been happening for 20 years. And there's more to it, but that's one tweet. And that's why I was shaking my head in the sense that like, yes, our digital lives have been accruing value, but we, I don't think we are at a point where it's greater than the value that we ascribe to our non-digital lives. Like depends on the person. But depends I, on what. But I want you... I think it depends on the person, right? Because in, in theory, people's identity generation comes from different places and the experiences they value. Like someone might not value going out for dinner. They might value playing video games and having a skin. So their $10 that could be spent going out to eat would be best spent on a video game skin. That's true. Or yeah. maybe they are a community moderator on Discord and part of a really lively engaging group there but in physical life they might not have a lot of friends that exactly. they hang out with one thing i did want to bring up was that you and i are face to face right now we know each other we've met each other obviously what does it mean <laughs> that's the big reveal <laughs> miu episode 191 Eugenia we know Trace each other never met all right okay sorry but yeah what i'm trying to say is that you and i have a very strong level of trust because we, ne we don't hide anything private from a physical perspective. However, in a metaverse world where the de facto norm is meeting online, how does that change when your identity is up for determination by you? Like if I show up right now when we go and start a job together, if we have the opportunity, 
we meet face to face? What if in the future we do this in a digital world and We're you dress up ever remote coworkers and we and you dress up a different way and like you know there's so many things you want to change your voice? I'm making this stuff up, but I like no, I know what you mean. You could be, a, you can appear as a different gender or however you know whatever kind of projection of yourself that you want to give. Yeah. Or you could be even non-human like possibly. You, you could be a, be a could crocodile. Be an yeah. And I might be an ostrich. Yes, what does that do to human relationships and dynamics? Uh, just open-ended question. I'm not saying I have a definite answer. Yeah. And when I think about something about that that's really interesting is when the internet first became popular, mostly people didn't use their real identities and they didn't use their real names. It was both like a sense of caution, like you shouldn't reveal who you are online. And also because there was a sense of possibility. Oh, now I can be whoever I want. And then over the last 30 years, it's gone in this direction of veracity, right? How do we make the at every stage checkpoints to make sure oh, this is what you look like? This is your credit card information, et cetera. Yeah, this is your age, et cetera. But now with the metaverse, what you're suggesting is that it can go back. Yeah. Go back towards a whatever you want, a crafted sense of it's self. It's going to be incredibly tough because if you think about it from a regulatory standpoint, how many times have you, well, for me, quite a few times, but how many times have you needed to verify your identity and it requires you to take like a physical selfie of yourself? Like this is digital. Actually quite a few. Exactly, Not right? Not as much as you, I'm sure, but still a few. Yeah, a, a, which I find really interesting because like of. if there's always going to be a governmental layer there that requires real human identity, the metaverse will always mostly be restrictive to a degree. And that's something that no one knows what's going to happen, right? Because I, th- I found it so interesting that crypto four years ago, you know, your your KYC, you know your customer sort of uh, process to just make sure that you weren't laundering money was pretty loose. Various places got busted for them or like, hey, you know what, you're, you're breaking the law. And then now it's all gone back to like, hey, you know what, there's regulation, there's centralization, all this stuff. Which in theory goes against what the metaverse is supposed to be, which is largely decentralized. I'm obviously a Web 3.0 supporter, but I also think that there's going to be people Advocate that are going to go in. Cult member. Whoa. Just kidding. Anyways, there's going to be some part of that where people are going to stick their thumb in the pie and ruin it potentially. Yeah. And this is related to a criticism I saw read of Zuckerberg's announcement, both like in a joke meme way and then also in a serious way. So the joke form was, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a joke that it's interesting that Zuckerberg can make himself look however he wants and he chooses the same emotionless thin stick. Yeah. And then there was another joke, which I thought was funny. It's like, why did Zuck give the metaverse himself like no booty? Because in real life, he has like such a dump truck. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's a meme version. But the serious criticism was that well, Facebook's metaverse sounds very boring. It, it's not as dynamic and fun. Dynamic and, and it's not much as like dreaming of imaginary possibilities as people want the metaverse to be. The metaverse should not be a more convenient replacement for real life, in my opinion. Yeah, but exactly. I can see it. When he says, oh, you have a physical TV now, but you can have like a metaverse version of a TV. I was like, who wants a metaverse version of a television yeah, set? That's like, that's I'm, totally not what you want. What I'm trying to say is that, and I've said this before, right? If COVID never happened, I don't think you would have seen such an acceleration 
towards the adoption and integration of metaverse ideas and concepts. And the reason being is a plethora of things. Okay, first and foremost, we would all agree that gaming, especially since it's such a early adopter advocate for the metaverse, that it's it's a very affordable form of entertainment, right? And I think- Yes, I agree. I agree entirely. And, I, people can't see me. I'm nodding my head. But in light of that, what I think a lot of these digital experiences have done, I think what it's done is it's allowed people to have fun, agreeable experiences digitally, and that masquerades as the metaverse being better than real life. Mm. Knowing that there's a lot of shitty things when you open your door out and you look outside. It's like, it's COVID. It's like, I don't know, maybe some people have the inability to go to a job or whatever. Like There's a lot of things that actually like are at a macro level the reason why the metaverse has gained so much steam. So I think for me, yeah, and I've said no, this before, I like I think there's something to be said when people are like overly prescriptive to one thing as a solution, because I think there's that's discounting what is the value of the opposite side. There's always going to be things of value on both sides. Well, also the reality, I mean, I feel like such a broken record because I know I say this on so many podcasts, but we still bring ourselves as humans to the metaverse which means that it cannot solve problems like racism and sexism and wealth inequality. Yeah, look what happens. We bring those things with us. Look what happened with, you know, just anonymous Twitter accounts. Like it doesn't solve those yeah. fundamental societal problems. Exactly. So I'm under no illusion. I mean, no matter what the tools are and how exciting the communication methods are, it doesn't solve the problem of humanity. Exactly. 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 I, I wanted to read just to give people a reference for what I said earlier. This is from Zuck's founder's letter. He says, think about how many physical things you have today that could just be holograms in the future. Your TV, your perfect work setup with multiple monitors, your board games and more. Instead of physical things assembled in factories, there'll be holograms designed by creators around the world. And I was just baffled by this paragraph. That stuff kind of happens already, doesn't it? That and also the fact that he says your board games, like literally video games are the virtual version of <laughs> physical games and you're not referencing them. Like, I don't know what's going on here. That's crazy, right? Yeah. There's another quote I wanted to read. This period has been humbling because as big of a company as we are, we've learned that what it's like to build on other platforms. Living under their rules has profoundly shaped my views on the tech industry. I've come to believe that the lack of choice for c consumers and high fees for developers are stifling innovation and holding back the internet economy. So in short, he's basically saying like, hey, you know what? I'm going to build a better place because I can do things better, but also potentially because he can write the rules, right? That's kind of my yeah. read between the lines. Oh, no, that is my read between the lines. A lot of people are most definitely- he wants to own the space. Which is technically unownable because Web 3.0 is unownable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As the basic premise. I think a lot of people that push back against meta is is under the premise that they're trying to take ownership of a thing that theoretically is unownable. It's like trying to own air, right? Yeah, I I do see a lot of irony in Zuckerberg and Meta slash Facebook coming out and saying this because it's like they I mean they know that they are the biggest platform, but they don't come out and acknowledge that. And that what they're building is yet an even larger extension of their power, their rules yeah. over a space. It's very strange to me that they are the people making this announcement and moving in this direction because it's on a conceptual level. Like, 
antithesis of what they represent. Yeah. Here's here's a question for you. Do you think Meta will be successful? And success could be a lot of things, but just I'll let you kind of decide what that is. From my stance, it would be successful to me if Meta creates tools that other people can use to then pioneer their own things. Because like you said, they put so much money into this, then they have the power to really push forward some technological aspects, okay? Make some things that can only happen with large amount of resources. Mm -hmm. And they also, by being who they are, will increase the pace at which things are accepted, which is like pro and con, right? Pro is that then, you know, hopefully things become easier for more independent, smaller creators, but then also things might become too rigid too quickly. Yeah. And then I, whether they will be successful on their terms, which I suppose from their perspective means earning more money and gaining more users. I hope not. Yeah. I feel like they have been shedding, you know, reputation and, uh, favor from both government and as well as users and there's you know lots of people uh, yeah. walking away so if i ask myself the same question i think it will continue to be a player but if it will uphold the purity of what it what sort of the metaverse is supposed to be probably not i, I was also thinking about this from a perspective of facebook because they're so well capitalized but i also think that after Instagram after WhatsApp, what's been the biggest win for Facebook since then? Like Oculus technically has not because Oculus is being rolled into Meta now. Oculus being the the VR stuff. So in short, it's like it's a big question mark. But I also think it's so early right now that it might be hard for Facebook to buy up a lot of these people that are developing metaverse concepts. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, the power of a dollar is is never to be discounted, but it's more like I think a lot of early players right now are more on the sort of metaverse maximalist route of like, it should be like this yeah. and I'm not going to let you buy me. But then as the space develops, you're going to have people that are more commercially minded. They don't care. So either which way, man, when you have $10 billion to throw at a problem, something will stick. And there's one last thing I want to read out and it's a quote from a Facebook VP. His name is Andrew Bosworth. The macro trend on the internet will carry us forward into the metaverse, I believe, which is just that creators, the creator economy that includes everything from developers and performers and people who are providing services. I think there's going to be people who are doing interior decorating in the metaverse. They're going to be decorating your home for you. There are going to be people who are stylists. You can get your avatar looking fresh. There's going to be services. And so the creator economy is really the thing that will be the biggest thing to unlock. And I think there's going to be concern from creators if the platform doesn't provide them the degree of flexibility and control that they want. Why did you want to end on this quote? I wanted to kind of end on that because I think it's a more of a visitation of the kind of commercial terms that the metaverse is already sort of taking shape around. Because the internet was arguably a much better place until social media and e-commerce came into play, right? So already we're, we're incentivizing people to be part of this because of commercial terms. And in my experience, a lack of commercial terms offers a sense of freedom 
But on that same note, it's also a different era. Everything is yeah. so overly financialized now yeah. that it's hard to get away from. So I think in general, it's just something to think about. It's almost like this, let's end on this thought and, and come back and see how it works. Because obviously, currently anyways, I think building a lot of things that are required for the evolution and development development of the metaverse will require resources. Because right now there's things we can do. I can go out and just do something for fun that doesn't cost any money. But right now, could I go and build a similar experience in the metaverse for free? Probably not. Like if I want to go to karaoke with some friends at a bar, like that experience doesn't exist in the metaverse as far as I know anyways. So that's all I got to say. Okay, on to my subject for this week. Eugene sent me this article. It's from TechCrunch. Heart to Heart raises $750,000 to bring sweet, sweet flirtation to your ear holes. And, you know, you said maybe this was a good pick. I said, yes, I didn't even read the article because I was like, we never or very, very rarely. I cannot remember the last time we talked about romance and love and dating on this podcast because I don't know did you guess it doesn't really come up much in the topics that we usually pick not quite so the facts of this is that Joshua Ogundu co-founder and CEO of Heart to Heart has raised 750000 from some angel investors and a seed round he said when it came down to the dating apps it was never something I could get into I felt like you needed to come up with a textual one-liner that was never my way of approaching romantic conversations. Voice is so intentional and intimate, and that is exactly what we're building here at Heart to Heart. I think that because it takes more energy to send that voice snippet to someone, you'll be more intentional with who you even look to strike up conversations with. And I buy it totally, like as a premise. Not it, necessarily it, their to me, app, but... Yeah, to me, it's another niche dating thing. It's like not any different from... Dog lovers trying to find love together. Well, no, it is different in a way because it's not about interests. It's, it's not about interests. It's more interest. of an interesting concept than just being revolving around one passion as a human because this could apply across the board to whatever you're interested in. I, I agree, but I also think that certain people will do better on this than others. And it's those that are articulate and are well-spoken. And if yeah. you're an introvert, this is not for you. Do you well, know what I mean? I I disagree. Well, you know I what? Disagree. I take it back. Actually, I take it back. Let me let me preface. I think that I don't want to use the prototypical like approach of like, oh, an introvert is a person that doesn't talk. But I think what I'm trying to say is that someone with potentially less self-confidence might not thrive in this because yes. of, as you mentioned, the intentionality, the more nuanced approach of like dissecting someone's reply. There's already apps that moved from being just like profile cards that you swipe through to having like very complete profiles where you tell this whole story about yourself. I'm mainly thinking about Hinge. And Oh, can you tell me a little bit more about Hinge? Hinge has a lot of different prompts that they give you more like than a quiz? Kind of. And they're oh God. Downloading it right now. No, I'm not. <laughs> and they're more, I guess, quirky or sort of they're more than your standard profile questions. Like, 
If you had to have dinner with three dead people from the past, who would you have dinner with or something like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so they really encourage people to spend more time putting their profile together. And it's, so it's like for people like that who are really good at telling a story about themselves and coming off attractive and funny yeah. and charming and less so for people who aren't. But I did think this is one thing about audio. I mean, obviously the co-founder CEO is going to sell it. But I was wondering if audio is good for detecting sincerity and honesty. I feel that to a degree, yes. But at the same time, it's just like any other thing. It's like experience driven. Like you would need to have the experience of seeing if someone's bullshitting or not. I feel that it does help a little bit more than just reading text or looking at photos, though. And I don't know if this is like totally scientific, but my own gut feeling is that if I listen to someone's voice, I would have a better ability to detect bullshit, essentially. Yeah. Or like a sense of, you know, veneer that I wasn't into. Do you like listening to people's voice messages that they send you on WhatsApp? I don't. But that's because I don't like work related ones. Yes, exactly. I don't like work related ones because how do I refer back to your voice message? Yes. But that's the main context in which I'm thinking of. If it's like friends, then yeah, it's nice. But mostly I get work messages. Very sad. I did some further research and Heart to Heart is by no means the only app and not even the only dating app that is audio focused. Oh, interesting. I know. Interesting. So there's another one that is already on the market called Swoon Me. Founded by Tanvi Gupta, formerly a Facebook product specialist. Mm. Uh, funny enough connection. And Swoonme goes one step further. This is related to the metaverse, where they don't allow you to upload photos. When you make your profile, you take a selfie or you upload a selfie and they convert it into an avatar, kind of like a Memoji, yep. but more high definition. And then you answer a couple questions via audio, via voice, and that's what your profile is made off of. And then you just make your decisions based off of that avatar and what you hear. And then when you connect with people, they also mainly encourage, I don't know how exactly, I didn't look at screens, but they encourage you to send voice messages yeah. instead of text and photos. Like for me, I used the word niche earlier, and I think the reason why it's interesting is that in short, I think the process of finding a companion or finding love is never linear and it's a lot of factors like to do what they've done here and remove a a sort of physical attraction element is to also negate how people actually find companionship like that actually is fundamentally part of companionship yeah so yes i understand the premise of it but at the same time it's like you know it doesn't matter if you guys connect, but if you are not attracted to this person, then it's hard for you to necessarily take it to like a quote unquote next level. I know what you mean, because the premise is very romantic and idealistic in the sense that, oh, appearances matter less and they should matter less. And or it's don't personality matter. first yeah. and who you are and your life story. But I agree with you that the reality is that we are very appearance driven and which is funny well, again biological right funny again in relation to metaverse though yeah. because we are attracted to how people physically appear in real life i don't know if this will work with metaverse romances then I mean, again at this point maybe you know earlier you said that it would be a disadvantage for certain people for certain people on the other hand it could be an advantage for those same people yeah who feel that 
they're not confident in their physical appearance and that they don't do well on traditional apps. Yep. yep. I mean, I met my partner in real life in the most boring situation possible. Work. Yeah, as coworkers. Did you guys sign the the papers that said you guys were, you no. know? No. You and Mayland were our supervisors, so really one of you guys should have made. Oh wait, no, you weren't. Caillou was my supervisor. He should have made me sign something. Yeah, some sort of disclosure. You met your spouse in real life. Yeah. First, right? Yeah. Like not through an app either. This okay, the, I actually this was something I wanted to bring up earlier. Did you ever watch the Netflix show Love is Blind? No, but, but I've you're familiar heard of with it. it. Is this the one where you wear like a gorilla outfit? No, that's something. Oh, it's it another reality show? Yeah, it's similar. But that one, uh, similar premise. I forget the name of that one, actually. But that one's a little bit more recent. I think you could go on it. It's probably still in the catalog. But Love is Blind is two people in pods. Obviously, you don't see each other. and But you can just freely talk to one another. And at the end, there's like a reveal if you guys both connect. If you both swipe right, then you guys will get connected. And there's like long runway where you meet mm. down the middle and you guys... And then people hug and kiss and that stuff. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is that it's not that that hasn't kind of necessarily like created initial connection, but obviously the ones that lasted are the ones that also brought it to next level with the physical attraction. Because mm. some like that obviously connected mentally, but then didn't connect because, oh, he's too short for me and I have a massive thing against guys being shorter than me. Right? So what I'm trying to say is that maybe it cuts through the bullshit because like, hey, you know what? It actually takes a lot more intentionality to like talk about things of meaning and substance. So I don't know. I don't. I, I think that there's there's no perfect way of finding like a significant other. But I think that is also why this is interesting because it's like we continuous. I don't say we meaning Eugene and I, but humans continuously want to find the recipe for true love. How do I find? the person, my soulmate that I'm going to spend my life with. And in what way can I do that easiest? And that's why, you know, apps reinvent themselves in certain ways Yeah. in, in order to do that. And while wow. I was doing my reading, I also found this super interesting. I came across an article on Clubhouse and dating. This is from February of this year, back when Clubhouse was really hot. And this is a quote. Personal discussions of every type are a constant on Clubhouse. Therefore, it comes as no surprise that users are capitalizing on the chance to connect romantically. Behavioral scientist and Clubhouse user Clarissa Silva observes all social media platforms eventually become dating platforms. Clubhouse is no exception. It's solving for our desire to find love when other options have failed. And I just like that comment. I'm sure other people have said it, you know, not just Silva. Of this idea where all social media platforms, all places humans gather become dating platforms because you can meet someone in the Instagram comments. You can meet someone in the, you know, YouTube live chat. All it takes is being in the same place as someone else. And for whatever reason, you are compelled yep. to strike up a conversation. I mean, That's all it takes, right? Content becomes a first filter, right? You... Joining this audio first dating app is already an agreement that I value this. So basically, that's what it is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That you like are you in the YouTube certain things. You in the YouTube comment section is because you guys both like the content that this yeah. YouTuber put out. You in the Twitch live stream, you know, that's a lot of overlap. Possibly, you play the same game. You like the streamer. You like their humor. Yeah, I mean, we did both already find 
partners. But it's almost interesting to think of all those different ways that you might be able to meet someone unexpectedly. I don't know. I guess I, one of the reasons I was like excited to talk about this because I think I am quite a romantic person, sometimes in less practical ways. And I think that possibility of meeting a total stranger on the internet that you wind up, you know, romantically spending your life with is is compelling. Is a compelling story to me. I know it doesn't happen for everyone. I mean, all experiences, all decisions we make is just basically part of the generation of a signal that the other person then takes in. It's like if you meet someone through a friend, already there's a degree of noise that's been cut out. So I think you know, referrals and like word of mouth is always so powerful for that exact reason. I would love to hear if anyone listening to this podcast has tried out these audio dating apps and if your success rate was higher than the non-audio ones. Like not success as in, oh, I found like a boyfriend, girlfriend, but just like you found more people. Interaction. Yeah, more meaningful interaction, more individuals that you were keen to continue getting to know. Good place to wrap up for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via Patreon.com slash Macon. Patreon members get access to the Make in Discord, where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.